0: We tend to assume that we are already in a position that is in some sense secure and right and that whatever comes along must be dealt with, including the questions we ask of it, out of a base in where we are. This is entirely understandable. After all, where else can we be but where we are? But there is a question, and it's pretty fundamental to our whole enterprise, 200 and something episodes in, which is, what if the position that we are asking our questions from is itself mistaken? In other words, what if the very sense we have already made of the world is in some way or other preventing us from seeing both that it might not be the right sense to make of the world and that it might not enable us to ask the right questions even to revise our way of making sense of the world. You can see that this begins to look like a kind of vortex that will suck us all down a plug hole from which there is no returning. But it is a very serious problem, and it occurred to me particularly only yesterday. I was reading an article in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy on pragmatism and truth. And the more of the article I read, which was very erudite and cross-referenced everything and put pragmatism more or less where I think it should be although I think it misconstrued Dewey in fact I think it misconstrued everything but I'm coming to that in a moment it suddenly struck me after I'd read it it that the entire article was working from the assumption that what pragmatism should do is answer the questions that philosophy has always asked that is Questions about truth and knowledge and reason and wisdom and all that stuff. But most of those questions were born, even if they've subsequently undergone a transformation, most of those questions were born in a dualistic world where mind and body were separate, where mind mattered more And where we still believed in some sense or other that there were things called souls that were immortal and bodies that were not. And so the vast majority of philosophy's activity has been undertaken to respond to that very ancient set of questions. Challenges, problems, presuppositions. And what I wanted to, so to speak, say to the person who had written the article was, but I don't think pragmatism is even attempting to address these questions. Although, I freely concede that in order to see that, we perhaps needed to be where we are rather than where the pragmatists such as Peirce, James, William James and John Dewey were between the mid-19th and the mid-20th centuries. Because I think that one can, so to speak, be doing something, thinking that one is doing one thing, but in fact transparently, once you see it, this is one of these funny things where nothing is as obvious as something once it's seen or as opaque before it's seen, that is very obviously, once it's seen, not an enterprise to be understood out of the philosophical tradition I've just described. And to his great credit, John Dewey saw this in his very important book, Reconstruction in Philosophy. I think it was called. I haven't got it in front of me. And the point of all of this is that pragmatism doesn't attempt to give us a theory of truth. It talks about truth. Well, it has to because truth is a word and a concept that it inherits with the language in which it is spoken but it isn't primarily interested in truth per se as a kind of intellectual bauble. It's interested, I'm putting this in Dewey's terms, who I think was the most mature of the pragmatists in terms of understanding this, it's interested in experiments in life. It's interested in an integrated view of mind and body. It doesn't think that questions that merely titillate the mind are worth asking and the answers that are given that titillate the mind are worth hearing. It's much more interested in the question, how shall we live? And how, if at all, does philosophy help us in that enterprise? And so Dewey, and it's particularly clear both in the ethics and in his human conduct, book. Dewey wants to say that we need to pay attention, as you might say, to the integration of what we understand with what we do. We need to see the fulfilment of our intellectual enterprises in terms of making differences to what he likes to call the objective world. Although, of course, the word objective is now so problematic that we would need to put it in scare quotes. But Dewey is essentially saying, let's take what I mentioned yesterday, his notion of sympathy, there's absolutely no point in being sympathetic unless you do something. It's rather like the quotation from Tony Blair, where he says that compassionate conservatism is only different from conservatism in that it says that it wants to help you, but just doesn't. And sympathy can often be construed in that way. It's something that gives us a warm feeling, because we feel that we are being sympathetic, but it does absolutely nothing for the people whose sympathy we have or for whom we have sympathy. And that makes it, at least in Dewey's terms, thoroughly reprehensible and indeed worthless. So don't talk about sympathy. It's a sort of like the, is it uh, Audrey Hepburn, don't talk of love, show me in My Fair Lady. It's basically saying, if you want to do something, do it. Don't talk about it. Don't comfort yourself, placate yourself, even silence yourself by thinking some great thoughts, writing them down in your journal, your diary or your word processor and then doing nothing about it. So there is a sense in which the very question that the traditional philosophical approach asks Questions about truths, about epistemology, aren't questions that the pragmatists think are worth asking because it sees them as thoroughly, utterly divorced from the question of how we should live. And something which is utterly divorced from the question of how we should live isn't worth anything at all. Thank you for listening.